I'm thankful that you're here today, and I'm also thankful to see, I need to, I have to recognize a couple here that are here today. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Stoddard, some newlyweds, how long you guys been married? A week and two days. So if you have any marriage questions, see them. They'll be able to answer. They've got it all solved. They've got it all solved. Thankful you guys are here today. So have you ever had someone explain something to you that you already knew? Um, I've got a couple thoughts in my mind about that. And I'm not really good at this, uh, but I, when I look at my lawnmower, I know that a couple things need to happen. You need to have fuel, fire, air, compression. I think those are things. Is that, is that right? No? Okay, I don't know. But I know some, enough tricks that like, I'm supposed to like, do something with a spark plug, and I empty the little gas out of the carburetor, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I'll take it to someone, and they'll say, did you clean the spark plug? Yes. Did you do the carburetor? Yes. And I've already done those things, but they still asked me. Now, I don't claim to be a knowledgeable lawnmower person. I prime the thingy, I pull it, and it goes. When it doesn't go, I usually cry for help. But there are some things I do know, some basic things I do know. You know, um, there's someone that I go to. if If I need an answer for something, there's someone in my life that I go to and you may know him. His name's Bill Hearn, my dad. My dad has been gifted by God to be a leader. And in, in his life, he's just risen up and been a leader and lit, led people, helping people understand, you do this, you do that, you take care of this. And for some reason in his mind, everything sort of seems to fall into place about getting a job done. And for me, if I have a question, I'll usually ask him, I, you know, what, what do I do here? He would say, I don't ever ask him, but I do ask him for things on occasion. Uh, I guess he, he thinks I don't ask him enough. But there's one thing that I really know how to do. And my dad now will be sitting in the, in the he'll be sitting in the pastor seat, I'll be sitting in the driver's seat. And uh, I'll put my re- reverse in, you know, the R, the R, not the racing gear, the reverse gear. And... Uh, and, and dad said, okay, back, 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 turn, 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 okay, okay, go, turn a little bit, turn a little bit, turn a little bit. And I'll have to turn to him and say, dad, I'm in my own driveway. I know how to back up. I know how to back up. It's my driveway. It's my driveway. But it just comes out naturally. He's just a naturally a leader, naturally a leader. But there's people, there's people that, that when you, when you, they come up to you, it, you kind of get that feeling like, oh my goodness, this person is going to, Tell me, tell me what to do. You know, I know how to make a better omelet. You know, you need to do a little bit of this, a little bit. Of, okay, thank you. You know, whatever it is, because I saw it on, you know, American Master Chef show, and therefore I know how to make the best omelet. That's kind of a starting point to where we're going to be going today. So what I want you to do is open up your Bibles to Luke 5. <clears throat> Last week... Pastor Lowell began a series in Genesis, in the Old Testament, began in Genesis. And in that series, he talked about how man disobeyed a commandment that was given, an instruction that was given. And the whole Old Testament will lead up to the the recourse, what happened because of that. And that's why we have Jesus, to, to reverse that curse. Today, I want to go to Jesus, and I want to look at a passage where Jesus is directly involved with people, and he's directly involved with his disciples. And the title of it is, should be on the screen here, <clears throat> excuse me, 
fishermen to fish for men. From fishermen, the regular old fishermen, to fish for men. Now, in studying this, I thought of a couple different, I had a couple different uh, titles I was going to use. So let's go to the next one here. How to hook a fisherman with that. How about fishermen schooled? Yeah, school of fish. Schooled by the creator of fish. This is the one I almost went with. You think you know, but you need to know you don't know until you know the one who knows. But it wouldn't fit on the, um, on the worship notes. So I figured I would go back to fishermen to fish for men. Now we're in the book of Luke. Does anyone really know that much about Luke? I knew a little bit about Luke, and I've, I've studied him before in Bible college and things like that, and, and uh, occasionally I'll try to read an introduction about Luke. But I want to share with you some interesting um, facts and information about this person, Luke, who wrote one of the four Gospels that we have in our New Testament. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Luke was not Jewish. As a matter of fact, he was not only Gentile, he was Greek. He was Greek. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's the only non-Jew to write anything in our Word of God. He's the only non-Jew, the only Gentile, to write in to the word of God that we hold. That's pretty neat. That makes him pretty unique. Not only that, but if you take a look at Luke, what he wrote, and the book of Acts, it comprises roughly about 25% of the New Testament. So he is actually the largest writer in the New Testament, even more than Paul, than Paul's writings, or Peter's writings, or James' writings, or whoever wrote Hebrews, you know, um, So he wrote a large portion of our New Testament. You don't really think about that much. But it's pretty important. In in Colossians 4, Paul's writing from prison. And he says, my friend, the doctor, Luke, sends his greetings. Also says a guy named Demas. So we learn a little bit more about Luke. We learn that he is a doctor, that he is a friend of Paul's, and that he's with him when he's in prison. So he's coming and helping him, being by his side. We even go a little further because he wrote Acts. If you think about Acts, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and all, all, the, all the books in the New Testament, Acts is, is more of an umbrella or more of a bookcase, and you would insert the different books, letters of the New Testament in. So it stretches, Acts stretches from Pentecost, the very beginning of the church, all the way to Paul's third missionary journey, journey near the end. And then in it is inserted Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. These things are inserted in it. So there's a long span And if we read Acts, we realize that as Luke was writing this, he went from they and they did this and they did that to we did this and we did that. So Luke joined Paul on missionary journeys. So he had a firsthand account of the life of Paul and what Paul was standing for and preaching and the word of God that he was was presenting. It's pretty neat. 
But of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke is the only one to have never met Jesus personally. So what he had to do, again, he was a physician. Remember, he was Greek. Some say this is the best written book, most eloquent book, the most informative book in Greek of the New Testament. But what Luke did, and we'll find it actually in Luke 1. We'll flip there real quick. Luke 1. Luke 1 verse 3. We look for the reason why Luke wrote what he wrote and how he wrote what he wrote. So we see in Luke 1 verse 3, therefore, since I myself, Luke, have careful, excuse me, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So again, we know that Theophilus was a believer and that Luke is writing an account, an orderly account of everything that happened in the life of Jesus. That's pretty neat. Luke really is the only, the only gospel that actually goes in an almost completely chronological order. It may not exactly be chronological as in time, but it's chronological as the buildup of Jesus' ministry and in his completion of his ministry. And the really, another cool thing about Luke is that Luke 2, we read it every Christmas. You know, he's got the whole Christmas story. We read that. So that's pretty cool. You don't realize how important Luke is. So let's jump into, let's jump into the situation with Luke 5. Okay. Now we're in Luke 5, and I'm going to go ahead and read, I'll read Luke 5, 1 to 11, and then we're going to take a look at this map real quick. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, let me read it in the ESV, I have the NIV, let me read the ESV. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, To hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. And let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. 
from now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Let me pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, in these next few minutes, I pray that your words words would be clear. That my words would diminish, but your words would ring true. That everyone hearing this would hear truth, would be moved by this truth, moved to the point where they would take action according to this truth. Me included, Lord. I need this. I need your word. We love your word. Help us to run to your word and learn from you today. And I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we get into it, you'll notice that in the very first verse, it says, the lake of Gennesaret. Doesn't it say that? The lake of Gennesaret. I don't see a lake of Gennesaret anywhere on this map. That's because it actually is the Sea of Galilee. Some people will call it a lake. Some people will call it a sea. It's about 13 miles by 7 miles. It really is a sea. Just a, just a sea. Most people call it the Sea of Galilee. But in this occasion, he calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. One of the reasons why is because they were near Gennesaret. Those that are near Tiberias will call it the Sea of Tiberias. John, they called the Sea of Tiberias because that's where they were located closely. If you look at the very top right, you'll see a, a, a word that says Bethsaida. That's where Peter and Andrew, uh, that's where they were born and that's where they lived and they grew up. So we see Gennesaret right here is slightly highlighted there. And the bottom left, we see Nazareth all the way down here. That's where Jesus is from. Notice, pretty mountainous Nazareth is. And uh, it's pretty... It's a, it's a lowland. They call it the, uh, the plains of Gennesaret is what they call it because it's so shallow in that area. So we know chronologically that Jesus traveled from Nazareth. We look back in, in Luke, Luke 4, the previous, the previous passage. We see that he's rejected in Nazareth. So he goes and he stands in the, in the, in the, uh, in the temple or the... the uh, the temple, I guess. I can't remember the name. of the Synagogue. Yes, thank you. Synagogue. And, and he can proclaims that, that prophecy is fulfilled in their sight. And he's rejected. From that point, he travels around to all these little towns. All these little towns. If we look at the end of Luke 4, we even notice. It says, Luke 4, 42. It says, at daybreak, Jesus went out into a solitary place that people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So we knew he traveled around. You may be thinking to yourself, I think I've heard this before. Fishers of men, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard this somewhere else. There's another passage about it. This is probably the same thing. And a lot of people would think the same. Uh, I've, in my studies, some people thought they were parallel passages, Matthew 4 and Mark 1, the same as Luke 5. But if you dig a little deeper, you find that they actually are different. And that's important as we start looking at what's going on with the disciples 
when Jesus is preaching right there at the shore. Follow with me real quick. In John 1, 29, you have, you have John the Baptist saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right before that, Jesus had gone 40 days out in the desert to be tempted. He comes back. He points again, and there's a guy named John and a guy named Andrew who are following John the Baptist. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Their eyes immediately go from John the Baptist to Jesus. And they start walking after him. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And then in the 30s, they said, where are you staying? John 1 in the 30s. And he says, come and see. So they go spend time with Jesus. And they go back and tell their brothers, hey, this is the one. This is the one. He is the one. And then he meets Philip. Jesus meets Philip. And he says, come, follow me. So we have this. Then John 2, they're with him at the wedding feast to Cana. We have John 4, he's with them with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. So he's traveling around, even Samaria, traveling all around. So then we have chronologically, we have Luke 5, which is strange. Let's read it again. Verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen, this is when crowds are around him, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. That's funny. They weren't hanging with Jesus. These fishermen. So as they're away cleaning up their gear, Jesus gets in the boat. Doesn't that seem a little backwards to you? Doesn't that seem a little weird? If Jesus said in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, wouldn't it stand the reason that they... Because in those passages, they left everything and followed Jesus, right? So wouldn't it mean that they were stuck with him? But for some strange, something's not jiving here. Because they're, what are they doing? They're, they're fishing. So much so that they're busy with their own jobs. And when Jesus is teaching and the crowds are around, they're not even close by. They're not even by their boat. And Jesus, accidentally, no, knew, knew where they were. Another interesting thing is they're from Bethsaida, yet they're a Gennesaret. So it's about six or seven miles distance from there. So they were, they were fishing. They were fishing and they landed in Gennesaret. It was a marketplace there where a lot of people gather to get their daily food. They didn't have refrigerators back then. They had to get the food every day. And Jesus knew the crowds would be there. And he, that's why he went there. He went to where the crowds were and he gathered them. So we see that the disciples aren't with him. He's basically working on his own. It's like a world of opposites. You would think that the disciples would be close, the people would be far off, but the people are close and the disciples are far off. And they're away cleaning up their gear. Now, if you're, if you're a note taker and like following along in the notes, we have a command and then we have Peter's first response. His first response is an excuse. Second is obedience. And we'll get to that here in a minute. But I want to focus on the command that Jesus gives. We find it in Luke 5, verse 4. Luke 5, verse 4. Excuse me. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Three things he says here. It's a command. It's not, hey, if you feel like it. Remember, he's sitting there teaching from the boat. 
And then he says, put out in the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Now, in my mind, Jesus is saying this. I want you to go this direction, put out in the deep. I want you to do do this action, let down your nets. And I want you to experience my success. Experience me, experience my success, Jesus says. It's an interesting command and we're going to come back to it. But I think I'd rather land on Peter's responses. Now, they were out all night. Let's hear what he says here. Peter, he's in the boat. He just just cleaned up his gear. You know, when you're a fisherman, it's a lot of work. There are always men in their nets or taking care of their nets. Something's always wrong. Something's always breaking down. You got to fix something, retie something, rework something. They were out all night, as, as as Simon says. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Exclamation point. They clean their nets. They're letting them out to dry so they don't rot. They've done all this. Have you ever come, have you ever come in out of the snow and you're like wet and you're like all rainy and like you take, your, you take all your stuff off and you put on a pair of sweatpants and like some warm socks and a nice, you know, dry t-shirt. You sit down and then someone says, you forgot to do this, that, and this outside. And you're like, oh my goodness. I got to get up. Either get a brand new thing of clothes on, go out and you know, get these clothes or I could just bite the bullet and put that wet stuff on. You put that wet stuff on and then you're in a great mood. You're in a great mood when you have to go out and do that. That's kind of the mentality that, that, that I feel as if Simon Peter had. Listen, dude. I know that you're going to tell me how to do stuff. I know you're going to tell me how to do stuff. Master, Jesus, Master. I know you're going to tell me how to do this, but... Do you see the boat that we're sitting, we're standing in, that you were sitting on teaching from? That's my boat. That's my boat. See those nets? See that one little squiggly part in the net there? That was when I caught that big fish at one time and I broke the net and I hand sewed it back together. You know my dad's a fisherman? You know my dad's a fisherman? You know he taught me everything I know? Do you know that every day I go out and fish? And I know as every fisherman on this Lake Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, Lake Tiberias, Sea Tiberias, whatever you want to call this body of water, every fisherman knows that you fish at night. You fish at night and you haul the catch in. And then you bring it in the morning and then you can take it to the market. I don't think you understand what you're asking me to do here, Lord. You're asking me, a know-everything fisherman, to actually do something the exact opposite of what every other fisherman does. At least that's what I think he's probably thinking in his mind. Maybe I took a little bit of liberty there, but, but you can tell he's irritated. You can tell he's irritated. He gives an excuse. He's explanatory, tries to explain it away. He postures himself in a way that, you know, hey, this has already happened. He tries to display some knowledge. Even gets a little irritable. Dare I say a little frustrated? (sighs) He thinks about the futility of it. And honestly, a little bit of pride and a little bit of doubt come in there. Anything's going to happen? That's the first part. 
But the second part of his first response is he actually does obey, which I appreciate about that, this about Peter. I mean, it's not like we've ever known Peter to be impulsive or anything, have we? You know, maybe slice a guy's ear off, maybe claim that he would never deny, you know, be the first one to step up, be the first one to be shouting stuff. So maybe he's a little impulsive there. Maybe in that moment he kind of said, you know, master, I'll do what you want. You want me to do it, I'll do it. He says, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. Think about us for a second. Has God ever called you to do something? Has God ever called you to do something and you create an excuse or an explanation or frustration or an irritability or a little bit of pride that you might know a little bit better or a little bit of doubt that you think is really going to work? You ever... You ever do you ever do that? You don't have to, don't shout it out. Just think about it. Don't, don't, I don't want anyone telling me this stuff. Um, just think about it. Rhetorical question. You're in the same boat as Peter. That was a bad joke. But. Why do we do this? Why do we doubt? Why do we question? If Jesus gives us a command, why do we doubt it? Why do we doubt? Why do we explain away? There's other people in scripture that have explained things away. Moses is a big one. God tells him to do something. He gives five big excuses. And finally, God says, I'll have Aaron be your mouthpiece. You know, we have people that, that give excuses and try to explain away things instead of just obeying what is said. Just obeying what is said. How about us? So we have Peter's Let's go to Peter's second response here. Following in here, we see what happens. Peter's like, all right, sure. You say it, we will do it. Master, if you say it, we'll do it. So they go out, they drop the nets. And what happens? When they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They got so much fish They had so much fish that they couldn't even bring it into the boat. They signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. Two boats full of fish, so full that both of them started to sink. So the guys are high-fiving. You know, they're hanging out. They're like, yeah, we did it, we did it. What happens? What does Peter do? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. God just gave a bunch of fish. Why in the world would he think he's a sinful man? Why in the world would he he say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man? Well, first thing he did is he saw what happened. He fell, he fell, He confessed that he is a sinful person. And he proclaimed and called out Lord. Side note, he calls him Lord just before he was calling him master. 
his view of God, his view of Jesus changed in that instance. Instead of calling him master, he calls him Lord. And instead of calling him Simon, he's called Simon Peter. There's a change. There's a change that's happening here in that instance. How about us? How about us? You ever see God do something that you doubted would ever happen and be immediately convicted in your heart that you were not thinking that? I have doubted. I have doubted God on many occasions. There's no way that person will ever turn to you, God. There's no way that person will ever turn to you. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for him. You said pray for him. Pray for my enemy. Pray for him. God, save him. Save him. Do whatever. Without any, any confidence, totally doubting what God can do in a person's life. I don't know, God. I don't know. It's a big bill. I don't know what we're going to do. Provide, help us out somehow. Help us out somehow. Change this person's heart, Lord. I don't know. I don't know. Sure. And then he does. And then he does. And then he does. And then our hearts are convicted because we doubted the commands and goodness of God. We learned in our, in our focus group, I, just a little shameless plug, come out next week. 9.30, the focus group. We have a group, uh, a combined focus group for the summer. We're talking about God. And one thing that we learned today was that God does not change based on our circumstances. Whether we're having a good day, we have a good God that we serve, a bad day, a bad God that we serve. No, God is a consistent and the same all the way through. And Peter saw it. Did he see a bunch of fish? I don't think so. God opens his eye, opened his eyes to see the depth of his sin, to see the depth of his doubt, of his pride, of his self-ambition, being self-seeking instead of God-seeking. I mean, we have evidence in Job. When Job realizes these things, he says, I'm, I'm undone, I, I'm, I'm dust and ashes. We have Abraham saying the same thing. We have Isaiah. We just read Isaiah. Uh, Pastor Roger read Isaiah. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's in the presence of God. He sees the truth. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then God touches a hot coal to his his lips. Peter recognized the Lord's righteousness. And the amazing thing is that he didn't want to be near him. Depart from me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Depart from me. Why is it when God tries to draw us close, the closer he draws us, the more evident our sin is, you know? The more that we, that we, that we realize that we are not him. Why do we shun God? Why do we turn from God? Why do we try to escape from God's goodness? Is it because he's holy and we know that we're not? Because he calls us to be holy as he is holy? This is the things that, these are the things that were going through Peter's mind. I, I shouldn't even be near you. I'm at your feet. I should not even, I, you, need to, you need to leave. I should not even be in your presence. A great, a great start. If we approach God, proclaim that we have no right to be in his presence, yet he openly welcomes us 
into his presence. And he calls us to him because he loves us. I think of the lepers, you know, at that time. Unclean, unclean, get away from me. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. They're calling that. Jesus runs to and heals these lepers. He runs to the people. He runs to the sick. He runs to the weak. He runs to those that are prideful in themselves and have doubt and are ashamed. As a matter of fact, everyone was there saw it. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. He and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Now let's take a look at the last response of Peter. And as we build up to it, let me read. So everyone was astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Verse 10. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, strange. Well, I don't know. I, I, do not be afraid. A command. Do not be afraid. From now on, it gives them a call. From now on, you will. It gives them an action. Be catching men. From now on, you will be catching men. He gives them a command not to be afraid and a call and a promise. You will be catching men. And they left everything and followed him. Now again, this is not a parallel passage with Mark, Mark 1 and Matthew 4 where they left, but they actually went back. This is later on. This is after they had hung out. They'd seen the tr- dramatic change of the woman at the well. They all, everybody in that town, they stayed there for a couple days and everyone in the town put their trust in Christ. They'd seen miracles. They'd seen things happen. Yet for some reason, they kept going back to what they had done before. They kept going back to what they had done before. It reminds me of another time where Jesus said, throw the net over the side of the boat. You may not remember it. I'll refresh your memory. John 21. Let me, let me catch you up to speed on what happened with Peter at that moment. Before then, he jumps out impulsively at the night that Jesus was betrayed and said, there ain't no way I'll deny you. Jesus said, Peter... You're going to deny me three times before sunrise, before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times. Never, never. And he even, even showed himself a little bit like he's, you know, the big man, impulsive, bang, chopping that guy's ear off in the garden. But then things started turning and he denied Christ. And what does he do? What did he do in John 21? Where does Jesus find him? Back at the boat, trying to fish. Ain't catching anything. Jesus on the shore says this. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, hmm. Try catching on, try casting on the other side. Just on the other side. Huge take of fish. And Peter remembered the moment that he had given everything to Jesus in Luke 5, 11, and left everything to follow him, he said, zing, that's what I should be doing. And he doesn't even wait. He jumps in the water, 
Swims after Jesus. Jesus says, you love me? Yep. Feed my sheep. You love me? Yep. Take care of my lambs. You love me? Hey, I said I loved you twice. I love you three. I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, you think you're fishing for fish. You are called to be a fisher of men. And he redeems Peter. And then Acts 2, Pentecost. And they pull in a load of men and women and children, the likes that has not ever been seen. In a moment, 3,000 people in Acts 2 come to Christ that day. And the church launches like a rocket. And Peter realizes, forget the net. I'm going to cast out Jesus and let people swim into him and be part of him and let him gather them together. And, I'll, and I will be the one to just pull them in for Jesus. I've got a few minutes. And I got a question. Will you excuse what God's called you to? Will you begrudgingly obey? Eh, I guess I'll obey. Will you see Jesus for who he is and fall before him? Will you leave the bonds of this world and follow him? In my research, there was a, they were doing a comparison of Peter was so consumed. He's, you know, Luke 4, he's got a mother-in-law, he's got a wife, he's got a, he's got a livelihood. He keeps running back thinking, I got to provide, I got to provide, I got to provide. And in that instance, Jesus says, I am the provider. I am your provider. Cast all that stuff away. But you know, Jesus gives us commands. Not only through this do we understand, Jesus gives us commands. It's in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. And I'll end with, the, I'll end with these two passages. I'm going to end with them. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. I'm going to paraphrase. It says, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest command of all the commands, like 613 things you got to do and all these guys have written it out and figured it out and parceled it up and all these Pharisees have figured it out trying to analyze which command is this, that, and the other and which is active, which is passive and all this stuff. They ask him all these questions. Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's a command. You do it. You do it. That's where you go. That's where you go. You go to the deep end. (laughs) You swim in the deep end of God. You swim to the deep end of God. And you love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. You be me. Jesus says, you be me. You follow me. That's my command. You love God with all your guts and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the command. And he also gives a call and a promise at the end of his earthly ministry. When he's finished it, he's about ready to ascend. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority is given to me in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, and listen, look to me, Jesus says, look to me. I'm with you even to the ends of the earth. He gives a command. You go, you go out fishing. You go make disciples. 
And there's only two commands in Matthew 28. And it's been referenced on the stage before. And I'll, I'll clarify it again. Go. Go. And the second command that, that is given is the word low or look to me. The, our requirement is we're supposed to go and make disciples. And our second requirement is we always look to Jesus. That's the only commands that are written in there. So we've got a call. We've got a command in spring mills, in your workplace, in your school, in your job, in your neighborhood. Hey, I got some neighbors I don't like. I got some neighbors I don't like, but I love. I got, neighbor, I got neighbors that do me dirty. That doesn't mean I, I do them dirty. I love them. I love them. I got neighbors that are in hurting and just hurting and hurting. And my job isn't to, to decide whether I feel like going to see them or not. You don't know, God. You don't know. This person's kind of mean. They cursed once in front of me. You know, this person, this person's rude. This person's rude. You don't understand. You don't understand, God. You don't understand the, the neighbors that I've got. You understand them. Yeah, he does. That doesn't matter. Why do we doubt? I'll leave you with this. And we'll have, the, we'll have the, uh, everyone come up for, uh, uh, for one more song. We'll have the men get ready for offering. And I want to challenge you with this. Where is God calling you? God's commanding you already. God's commanding you to go and make disciples. God's commanding you to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God's commanding you to love your neighbors yourself. God's already, he's already commanding you. So where's God calling you? To specifically live that out. Where are you going to go to fish for men? Because we need to go where he shows you. We need to do what he says to do. And if we're just obedient, joyfully obedient, resting in him for provision, we will experience his success. Maybe not the success we see, he will be successful. He will be successful. And we may be able to experience a glimmer of that in our lives. Let me pray for the offering. And then, and then we'll, we'll, give, we'll give worship to whom worship is due. So let me pray. Thank you for these moments, Lord. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for having Peter teach me. I pray, Lord, that Peter was a great teacher for us all. Thank you for being the ultimate teacher. You're so patient with us, Lord. We follow you and then we run back to our, to our boats. We follow you for a little while and we run back to our boats. I pray, Lord, that we would cast everything at your feet. We would fall at your feet. We would give you ourselves, that we would leave everything and follow you. I pray, Lord, that this church family in this community, when they speak of us, Lord, I pray that they would speak of you. When they see us, they would see your son, Jesus. When they see us, they would see the love that we have for your son, that they would know that we're different that we do not live according to this world. And they would want to, to, to experience that, 
that peace that we have and we would have the privilege of pointing them to your son, Jesus Christ, in his word. Thank you for this offering. May we give ourselves to you. And I pray all these things, your son, Jesus Christ's name, amen.